forward again with another message on healthy habits for the church, growth in spiritual disciplines. And um, uh, so really, again, this message is designed for believers. And uh, I want to make that distinction. Um, I want to bring it forth. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we're very, very glad that you're here. But the things that we're going to talk about today are for Christians uh, and for um, uh, the, the members of the body of Christ. And as we go into this, it would be wrong for me not to say, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. We sung about it. We, we saw it in that little presentation on, uh, on the whiteboard. Okay, um, God's plan there. And that, that's a, an, ex, a, an excellent presentation for a people in a culture that live with honor and shame. And we don't need to explain that much. You know, it, it was interesting, though, that the, you know, there, there's some blue uh, jerseys there for the... Never mind. Okay, but just remember, here's the, the issue. Any message, you know, we, we want to remember to share the gospel... Why? Do we just assume that everyone's a believer that comes into the doors of the church? It's kind of like uh, you've heard it or seen it before. Uh, It's been around a long, long time. Just because, you know, know, it's like you're saying, well, I'm a car because I live in the garage. No, you're not. Just because you come into a church doesn't mean you're a Christian. And so we want to make sure and help people come to understand that it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, not about good works that makes a person a Christian. Okay? You've been, you saw it in that diagram. You've been separated from a holy God because of your sin. And you need reconciliation. And the only way to do that is through a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He made that perfect sacrifice on your behalf. Are you trusting in Him for your salvation? Okay? That's really uh, why we're here. But today, what we want to do is continue uh, understanding more about what it means to be a growing and strong church. A growing, uh, strong and growing members in a church ought to result in a strong and growing church. Strong members. They're growing in the things of the Word. That's what we talked about last week. And that's why on your outline you can see number one, the intake and the incarnation of the Word. Well, that was last week. If you didn't hear it, you can get a, uh, a recording of it from the men in the sound room. Get, get a copy of that and listen to that message. Um, and I say the intake and incarnation is because it's not just only a matter of intake in your life. It's a matter of incarnation. Now, that word incarnation simply means what? To make flesh. Flesh it out in your life. That's what we say, uh, what what happened when Jesus came. We, We call that the incarnation. God became man. He became flesh. And so it is with the word of God now. We've got the word of God. Let's learn it. Let's study it. Be reading it, but let's apply it. And we, we can't apply it without His help. We need His help. So ask God for His help 
in applying the word of God in your life. Okay, so that's that's foundational about, you know, saying we want to be a strong uh, church with strong members. Well, you've got to be in the word. That's really it's got to be happening. So we move on to say that if we're growing in the things of the word, what ought to be the natural outcome of that is worship. So number two, the increase in impact of real worship. And I say the increase because it's not just that, oh, you, you hit a certain level and you don't need to uh, grow in it anymore. No, there needs to be an ongoing increase. And so to impact, there ought to be impact with it because it ought to make a difference in our lives. And all too often, if we've been in church for a long time, it can kind of be, huh, you know, kind of the, I'm tired, I, I, I've heard this, I've been there, d- been there, done that before. And so worship gets too familiar, too common. And so we need to kind of rattle the cage. Have you been in the Word? Have you been reading in the Word and learning more about Jesus so that your worship now can rise more? Okay? So... To gain a clearer understanding of real worship, that's point number two, the increase in impact of real worship, to gain a clearer impact, uh, understanding of that, it'll help to answer these next questions. What? What is it? Definition of worship. How would you define it? It's a good little uh, talk to have with your kids or your spouse. What's worship, really? Is it following along with the, the order of service at this church? Now, that's a very uh, limited understanding. You know, there's a greater definition of worship. And it's not really complicated, folks. It's simply this. You know, we could say simply stated, it's giving honor and praise to the one who's worthy. But all too often, you and I are giving praise and honor to the one that's not worthy. And who is that? Yourself or other people or other things, other created things. And that's called what, class? Idolatry. And we are uh, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty bad at it. I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> we're idolaters. Even as Christians, Christians can still be idolaters. And so we need to be in the Word to target that and say, I don't want that happening. I don't want to do that. Okay? The word study of worship means to kiss. How do you like that? To kiss. Psalm chapter 2. Write it down. Reference Psalm chapter 2. Kiss the sun. What is that about? It's to, in a sense, like come up to the king and what? Kiss his hand. And when you do that, what are you doing? You're You're bowing. That's worship. You're, you're giving honor, adoration, praise to the one who you bow and kiss. It's the, uh, also the idea of to serve. There's another word for worship, latruo in the Greek language, that means to serve. That's used for the idea of worship. Okay? And it's a matter of serving. So the, the, it's a wonderful picture of 
Here's the idea of worship. Not just standing and lifting your hands and praising God, but serving. That's why we say it's a lifestyle that needs to be learned. Not just an event to show up to. What about who? The next question, who? All true believers. Mark it down. If it's not there already, uh, just mark it down. John chapter 4, 23 through 24. Because this is what God seeks. God seeks true worshipers. That's what God seeks. That's what He he longs for and waits for. He's wanting to see us worship, rise up and worship. Just like Jesus helped that woman at the well to become a worshiper. It's no uh, distinctions here on saying, well, it's just the really um, approved and accepted people that are the worshipers in the church. No. If you're a believer, you're a worshiper. Don't forget that. Okay? True worship begins when? When John 1.12, when you receive the gift of salvation. That's when worship starts, right there. You've received the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now you're a worshiper. You believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Then this next question is very interesting. How? How do we go about growing in worship? This is a major concern for all Christians. How are we going to do this? How am I doing in this way? How does one grow in worship? I don't get it. Do we just automatically get better at it? How can I grow deeper in the experience of worship? In my life, not just on a Sunday morning. Listen, folks, that only comes through His grace. It will only happen by His grace, by His doing. But we have His Word. The more you're in the Word, guess what's going to happen? The more it will result in... You know what I read this morning? This is awesome. Jesus is so wonderful. What's happening? You're just responding to the Word of God with worship. Faith is critical, isn't it? You can open up your Bible and be doubting, be skeptical. You're not going to learn anything. And you, you, you've got people in your lives that you've heard, they say, Oh, I've read the Bible. Eh, doesn't make sense to me, or I don't get it, or whatever. Faith isn't being exercised in their reading in the Bible. So faith... You, you, you come by faith. How do you get faith? Well, there's salvation. It's a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. So, now, we say that how does the growth in worship, in your worship experience happen? It comes only by His grace this way. In this way, through the knowledge of His Word. A lot of us want to think that I can do it without being a big, huge Bible student. I'll worship. But if you want to grow in, in real worship, genuine worship, you've got to start here. You must start with the Lord and His Word. Okay? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to magnify Christ in your life. So that we continue to come back to this business again. We worship the risen Savior. We worship God. So 
It's by way of knowledge of his word. And secondly, it's through love for Jesus Christ. Love, a knowledge and a love for him. Now, we come into worship. If you say, hey, I want to I grow in this. I want to be excited about this. Well, for instance, on a Sunday morning, you come simply. You come humbly. Think of how you come to a worship service. Now, expand that. Expand it to your walk with the Lord during the week. All of you. Think of it. To worship Him on a Monday morning. What? <laughs> Monday. Ah. Or Thursday morning. Ah. You don't know what my week is like. Well, it's just a matter of saying, what do you, what do you, what do you need the most? What do you need the most? We need Him and His Word in our lives. So, all of this fuels our worship. Do you get that? It fuels our worship as we spend time in the Word, as we spend time gazing upon the Savior, looking to Him. It fuels our worship. Our worship will grow Our worship will develop and deepen only, listen, only to the measure that we invest in His Word. Okay? And don't get discouraged now. Think, oh, man, I I just, oh, man, I've blown it. Don't get discouraged. God is the God of hope. There's today again. You have today to say, I want to step up in this way. And if, if God gives us tomorrow... No guarantee of it, but if he gives us tomorrow, now do it. Here you go. Spending time and then responding. Lord, thank you. You are so good. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that passes understanding. Thank you, Lord, for the power that you display. Get specific in it. Okay? And remember, our worship will grow, deepen. It'll develop more and more to the measure that we invest time in His Word because that's what fuels our worship. Now, I want to... This is a different way I've approached this. Um, I haven't done this in a while. But um, we... I want to have you look at your outline right now. Look at your outline and see under letter 2A. We're going to look at some um, evidences of this and, and some, some of the record behind the idea of worship, the subject of worship in the Bible. So um, exercise your fingers. Be ready. Okay. And what we want to understand is that there's the testimony of worship And how important it is, what a priority it is to God. And when it comes to the subject of worship, the Old Testament records uh, records what I label as an ongoing display of God's loving discipline upon His creation and His chosen people. God's concern for you, but you know what? More importantly, God's concern for His glory. God's concern for His glory. And uh, so we, we understand, it, it, some of you that 
you know, you're familiar with the Old Testament, okay, you're, you read in the Old Testament as well, that the people of God are truly blessed when they follow God's instructions. It doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly, but God's people will be blessed as they choose to obey, as they follow His word, as they walk in His way. All right? They'll be blessed. As well, people are judged. People are disciplined for their waywardness, for their rebellion. And we see that all throughout. Here's the pages of Scripture sharing that time and time again. And so what I want to point out, first of all, under the testimony of the Old Testament is God's design. Probably fill that in in your blank there. God's design. Well, the idea is... In God's design, it's easy to see that people, when they're born, they're natural worshipers. They, they don't need a whole lot of uh, instruction about how to worship. They just start worshiping. And what I mean by that is, they might not worship God, but they're worshiping. They, they latch on to something. They want to love and start serving something. And typically, with babies, it's about themselves. They don't know any better. They want mommy. They whine, they cry, you know, they want, they want a bottle, they want this. Life is all about them. <laughs> and we understand that. That's, I'm not putting that down, that's just understanding it. But they're learning to worship. It's all about, I, I, I want something! <laughs> so, we understand, in the beginning, God created male and female to worship the one true God. Now, Adam and Eve chose to experiment with another kind of worship. What kind of worship did they experiment with? All about self. Let's try it ourselves. Actually, I'll be like God. If I, you know, I I guess that what this guy is saying, you know, I'll be like God, right? So they went after it. And that brought about the fall. And at the heart of the fall, listen, at the heart of the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve, was the truth of Romans 1, 25. Look at it. Romans chapter 1. Here's what's at the heart of the fall. Romans 1, 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what Adam and Eve did. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's what everyone else does following them because that's what we've inherited in adam and eve what our our video presentation said so they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and they worshiped and served the what the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever okay so that that's the design that's god's design not that we would exchange that truth but that we would worship the one true god secondly god's discipline we see it in the Old Testament. It didn't take long for mankind to witness God's judgment upon sin. And many times it was in the framework of worship. Okay? Now, obviously we have Noah in the flood. Okay? That was just a, a sweeping judgment on people and on a, on a culture. On, a, on, a, on people in general. Then... In Genesis 11, 
we see that God judges the godless effort of mankind at the Tower of Babel. There's another one, Genesis 11. And then you jump to Exodus. Here's, here's where we're going. Exodus chapter 7 through 12. Here's God's judgment on a foreign nation for their idolatry. What was it in the form of? The ten plagues on Egypt. Again, specifically directed at false worship. The Egyptians were, were professionals at it, if you will. Then, it doesn't stop there. Gen, uh, Exodus 32. 32 and 33. What's going on there? Well, the, the Ten Commandments have been given. And, and Moses is getting you know, the Ten Commandments. And what, what's happening back at the camp? Back at the camp, they're playing. Doesn't sound like a very dangerous thing. But there's all sorts of debauchery going on in their playing, in their idolatry. What ha- they brought together, and here's the golden calf. They're, they're worshiping the golden calf. And there's judgment there. Moses hears from God, and, and, and Moses sends men to go and kill those people. Wipe them out for their idolatry. Leviticus, jumping to Leviticus, chapter 10. God judging priests. There it is. Again, worship, in worship. Nadab and Abihu. He judged them for their strange fire that came forth. It was wrong worship. You see that? Jump to Numbers. (laughs) Numbers chapter 11. You see, it's just like we just go right through the Bible. More and more examples. Okay? Numbers chapter 11 through chapter 14. God judging the people for complaining. Numbers chapter 14, verse 39 through 45. God dealing with the people, dealing with the consequences of their disobedience. In specific, that was when the, the spies came back from looking out over the land. And, you know... The majority of the spies said, no, we can't go in there. We can't take it. And Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can do it. And the people went with the majority. And then they were sent off to wandering in the wilderness. But, but oh, we can do it. We can do it. So they grabbed a bunch of the, uh, the armed forces guys and they went after them. What happened? They got slapped down. They got slapped down as a rebuke for not being A people that are trusting God. They tried to go in their own power. And beat the enemy. And that's what you and I do a lot of times. Even as a Christian. And we need to remember. it's Here's a picture again. At the end of Numbers 14. How you and I can have victory. By saying, okay, we messed up. But now let's humble ourselves before God. And let's ask him for his strength and help. And let's, let's keep moving ahead. Okay. So, um, number 16. Number 16 is about the sons of Korah and their judgment. God judging the sons of Korah. Uh, Joshua 7. Here's the, the, the people went into the land. What happened? They, they brought about the victory. And yet, the sin of Achan. One man and his sin affected what? Listen, affected the whole army, the whole people. 
and they went up to little Ai and they got smoked up there. They got defeated. Why? Because of sin. This is where we get sin in the camp. That phrase. Is there any sin in the camp? Well, that's what happened with Achan and his covering his sin. The book of Judges, again, we're not specifying any specific verses there, but the whole book of Judges, it's just evident with the fact that everyone did what? Everyone did right in his own eyes. They weren't following God. Then the whole issue with the people of Israel and the people of Judah, they were taken off into exile. Why? Their sinful worship. Their false worship. They, they wanted to be like the other nations around them. So they kept on erecting the Baal and the Asherah pole. And good godly kings came back and said, well, you gotta wipe this out. No, we can't do it. And then evil kings rose up and they came up again. The evil worship, the false worship came. So God allowed them to be taken into captivity into foreign lands. And all the while, then we get into the, into the prophets, we continue on our Old Testament survey, and we get into the prophets, and what are the prophets saying? Thus saith the Lord. You've, you've fallen into spiritual adultery. What a statement. What a bold, strong statement. No, but we're the people of God. We're Israel. No, you've fallen into spiritual adultery. So... There's references there in your outline that we're not going to go over every one. But it's important, folks. It's really important that if you're wanting to track along in this way of here's God's design, here's God's discipline, and here's the third one, God's delay. God's delay. He could have wiped them out. In fact, there's times where the Scripture tells us he, he was going to wipe out the whole lock, stock, and barrel of them, right? But there's intervention and a plea for God's mercy. But God's prophets showed up and their message was strong. Listen to the one from Amos. You don't have to turn there because some of you might. (laughs) Where is Amos? But listen, Amos chapter 5. Listen to this. This is prophecy against God's people. God's saying this through the prophet. I hate I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river and let righteousness pour out like a a never-ending stream. See, God's concerned about what? His people, but he's concerned more importantly about his glory. That we give him glory. Now, there's God's delay. God's mercy and God's love was always being offered all the time to God's people. Mark down Psalm 118. Psalm 118. That Psalm just keeps coming back with, and his loving kindness never ends. His loving kindness is everlasting. Okay. Joel chapter 2 says this. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. You know what, folks? There's worship. 
We always want it to be on our terms. Oh, I feel so good. And wasn't that song wonderful? But you know what? In worship, there ought to be this idea that we're coming with a, a humble heart. We're weeping over our sin. We're mourning about it. Have we been forgiven as Christians? Yes, we have. Definitely. No question about it. And that's where the rejoicing comes. But do you still sin? I still sin. You still sin. And we need to be on target with that of saying, I need to turn from that. I need to mourn about that. I need to ask for God's help in overcoming sin. Then Joel chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Rend your heart, not your garments. Remember that? You know, all the Israelites were really good at ripping their robes apart and tearing their garments, showing an outward display of mourning, of being upset about Israel, about the sin. But see, God wants it to be in the heart, not just on the outside. And then it finishes with this. He says in Joel chapter 2, he says, Return, return to the Lord, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's what the prophet's calling out. Here's the, the, the heart of God. You and I have strayed in our worship, just like the people of Israel. And he's saying, come back, repent, rend your heart. Mourn over your sin. All too often, we have that light-hearted attitude about worship. Hey, it's another day. Now, I'm not wanting us to come in, you know, with, you know, the sackcloth and ashes on us uh, next Sunday. Because we serve a risen Savior. Amen? And so, it's, but it's a matter of preparing your heart. And not a one of us can come in saying, oh, I've got it all together. We need to say, God, um, shine your spotlight on my heart. Is there something that I need to deal with before we enter into worship? We want to enter into worship in a, in a right manner. Okay? And the same thing on your own, in your own life. Just saying, God, help me in responding to the, the, the Spirit's work in my life. And so... Um, Just again, I hope that you will take time to look at these other passages in light of what we've talked about, about this issue of worship. You know, God wants you to, here's this, this has got to be said in the right uh, order. God wants you to be satisfied. Do you understand that? He wants you to delight. (laughs) But all too often, what are we delighting in? We're delighting in the, the pottage, uh, you know, the soup that, you know, Esau chose, not the inheritance. And all too often we, we rejoice and we delight in the, the created things. And we need to be a people that are growing to delight in and gaze upon and fix our eyes upon and keep on track with Jesus Christ because He's the all-glorious One. There is no other like Him. And so we say, what's, to, to wrap it up here, what's your desire? What's your desire in light of this? Do you have the desire to be growing in worship? Look at Psalm 100. Just mark it down. 
If it's not there, mark it down. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, not we ourselves. How often do we live and act in such a way that it's been about me? I don't say it, but I sometimes will live in such a way that she says, I mean myself. I, I'm about myself. I, I, it's all about my agenda. Well, that's a, a self-centered, very short-sighted perspective on life. Remember, Psalm 100, go through it. Remember, Romans 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Could that be said of you or me? That's, that's bodacious. That is outrageous that someone could say that about one person. And that's, that's, they're saying that about who? Jesus. Jesus outshines them all, folks. There is no one comes close to Him for our worship. And that's why it's so sad. Because how often have you and I spent chasing after the wrong things? Worshiping the wrong things. Brothers and sisters, we are not to approach worship with familiarity. Let's not allow familiarity to spoil the worship experience. And yes, I say experience. Because that's what, you know, we, we want to be in the Word of God, the objective truth of God's Word, so that we will then Respond with praise. Respond with humility. Respond with hunger after God. Is God not the most high and the most glorious one? He's worthy of our praise. We're to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord. And as we do, we mine more and more of His Word to our delight and to His glory. So I'm telling you, if you aren't spending time in the gold mine, you're going to come out like, eh, no big deal. It's not a big deal. I would rather see that we come together even before a message is preached. And we come, I can't wait to worship. I can't wait to sing praises to God. I can't wait to hear the Word of God preached. Why? Because we've been spending time, we've been investing time in it during the week. Beloved, we need to take worship seriously and joyously. And let's not treat it like it's playground time. No phoniness to it either. No phoniness. Let's be honest with God and honest with ourselves. We've got hang-ups. We've got problems. Yes, but let's come together saying we want to have real worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just think of this. If God's chosen people, Israel, were labeled with such descriptions as idol worshiper, as idolater, an adulterer, I'm sorry, an adulterer, could we not fall in the same kind of ways? And so we need to be quick to deal with that and confess that to God and say, I don't want to go after idolatry. I don't want to go after spiritual adultery. I want to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. 
Here's a quote from this book. I want to share some of these books with you and then we'll close in prayer. Whoop. And that is, um, these are books on worship. Again, by the way, the best book on worship is the Bible. Please, remember, nothing compares to it. But this helps. Simple little paperback books on worship. Warren Wiersbe, John MacArthur, Rick Holland. And I want to share this quote with you from Rick Holland in his book, Uneclipsing the Sun. He says this, Looking for and seeing and gazing at the excellencies, the glories of Jesus leads to greater vision, sharper focus, deeper awareness of Jesus and His permanent abiding presence. It elevates the soul to a higher vantage point of worship. So folks, let's remember that. Here we go. Brand new week. Thank God for another day and a new week. What will it be like for you? Will you make choices to be in God's Word? And then it results in praise and glory to God. Let's stand together. Let's stand here. I'm reading from Colossians and this will be our, like our benediction here, alright? Colossians, chapter 1. He, Jesus, He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. From among the dead, so that, in everything, He might have the supremacy. You know what that means? That he might have first place in your life and in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. We are a guilty people who have been rescued by Jesus Christ. And we need to grow in our faith. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be spending time in the word, rejoicing in what we've found, like like a, a wonderful treasure. And we've gone and sold everything and, and we bought that field to have that treasure. Lord, I pray that we would delight in You and that we would uh, continue walking with You and praising Your name no matter what comes up. Thank You for being the One who has first place in all things. You are God. We are Your people. Help us to walk with You today. And praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.